0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Officer Washburn, how are you doing today? Listen, Ned, you wouldn't have to know where I can get some uh... <laughs> even if I did, you really think I'd tell you? It's been a hard week. Yeah? Yeah. Here you go, officer. Hey, thanks, man. Wow. Hey, I'm Ned. They let me go early. I won most cooperative inmate, four months running. God, Ned just showed up. You said your door was always open. Well, I gotta get back to work on the tummyon. What? It's a cross-pollination between a tomato and onion. Think of the time it'll save when you're making spaghetti sauce. He's family. Can't just turn my back on him for no reason.
1: Where did you go? I need to find you. No!
0: I see you ever wanted him here. Filling the kids' heads with stupidity. Check it out.
1: Can't one of you just take him,
0: please? What's wrong with my sister? She's pretty, but she's bossy. Tell me exactly what he said. He said that your personality gets in the way of your looks, your very good looks. Dude, do you have Tourette's? She's open to pretty much anyone. She even slept with her cousin once.
1: Our idiot brother just ruined my freaking life.
0: I like to think that if you put your trust out there, I mean, if you really give people the benefit of the doubt, see their best intentions... I mean, can you hold this? People will rise to the occasion. And
1: and you know, I think it's a really good way to live your life.
0: So hard. If I could love something, as much as Ned loves everything, you wouldn't I... be such a bitch. And you wouldn't be such a slut. Who's the man, Ned? I'm the man! Louder! I'm the man! Yes! Come on! I try and do good but I just screw it up top of it all I broke down and smoked with a kid that lives across the street from me okay I didn't just hear that I said I broke down I went and smoked with a kid that lives across the street from me you don't tell your parole officer that you just got high oh man can you forget I said that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, contributing editor at Rolling Stone and Sirius XM DJ, Jenny Elliskew, and tonight's guest, filmmaker Jesse Peretz.
1: We're all the way at the far end of the stage, yeah. caddy corner and stuff. <laughs> How y'all doing? Good. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Jenny Elliskew. As you heard, I'm a contributing editor at Rolling Stone magazine, and I'm thrilled to be here with Jesse to talk about our idiot brother, which I have had the pleasure of seeing, but you have not yet. So, <laughs> uh, in the interest but
0: hopefully, of. But uh, hopefully, this discussion will help you change your um, mind, it will help get you to the movie.
1: Exactly. Hopefully, this weekend. Yes, this weekend. Um, so when I went to see the the movie the other night, a lovely setting on top of a building. Um, I know that was
0: a kind of weird place to see. A I movie. thought it was awesome. It's an awesome place to be. As a filmmaker, it was a little. Um, I was completely freaking out about um, all the jackhammering. It was an outdoor space up on Forty Second Street. Yeah. Um, and all I could hear was the jackhammering and. Um, Whatever, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and you made a couple of remarks before the film, noting that uh, that Paul Rudd is a longtime friend of yours. So if you could tell us a little bit more about just how you guys met and, and how that inevitably led to this film.
0: Yeah, um, well, we met we met through a mutual friend back in the nineties, um, another actor, Donna Logue, who was an old friend of mine from college. And a, and uh, and then I got him to do this um, all improvised movie that I made in France ten years ago called the Chateau, which was a tiny little movie, um, shot unfortunately on a consumer grade um, video camera, um, because it was right after it was right when all those Dogma movies were happening and this and uh, and uh, the Celebration had just come out and I decided to use the same camera they did. Um, I feel like they managed to make it look better than we were able to. That said, we had um, it was it was Paul and um, this African American actor, Romney Malco, who played his uh, brother, his adopted brother, and the concept is that they inherited uh, chateau in the south of France. Um, and uh, and anyways, we it the the whole the whole rest of the cast was French. There was no script. It was all improvised and. Uh, both of those guys were amazing to work with but paul especially um, just blew me away with his ability not only to improvise but to improvise both really emotional stuff um, really vulnerable stuff and really comedic stuff all at the same time um which to me is you know uh it's a it's a brand of comedy that really attract you know that that I'm really like attracted to and um and so you know I guess I first and foremost became like a huge fan of his through that. But the experience was a really positive one for both of us. And, you know, we had a number of false attempts over the last decade to sort of create other scripts to work together on other movies that never happened.
1: So now did the the idea of working with Paul as the lead, as this kind of character, precede the actual script, which I understand was written by your sister and brother-in-law, right? Yeah.
0: Well we develop we we sat around the living room one day saying like ah oh, let 's write i 'd already written a script with my sister before we were like ah oh, let 's write let 's uh, you know let 's write another script and basically we were like let 's write let 's come up with an idea of something for Paul Rudd who I really wanted to work with so this character kind of this character sort of started by being having little qualities of the um, of the characters that we had talked about. Um, in all these false attempts to come up with scripts over the last decade, um, and we knew we wanted to do something kind of ensemble-ish, and we sort of, realized, we sort of got to the point where um, we were like, okay, let's do a sort of you know something would I guess be slotted into the dysfunctional family comedy, but something about really where we explored you know grown the sort of love and hate and bitterness and honesty of grown sibling relationships. Um, Somewhere in the process of figuring out the, figuring out the script, um, I met our mutual friend Morgan's brother. I don't know if you know the story of Morgan's I don't, brother. I don't
1: know this brother. This, I don't know this brother or this story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have a mutual friend who has a brother who is a medical marijuana farmer in Marin County.
1: Oh, who, interesting.
0: Who got into a little trouble um, for, I guess, spreading, you know... Stretching the, the laws of dispensation of medical marijuana. You don't want to do that. And uh, anyways, he was, you know, in some serious trouble, but managed to kind of find a good place for himself by uh, joining a Franciscan monastery in Oakland. Um, wow. and, and when I met, um, and then, uh, so when his brother came to town and I met him, and I had, and uh, he, basically I ended up having dinner alone with him and my wife. And uh, he was the most, he's like the sweetest guy in the world, the most irony-free, judgment-free guy that I've ever met. And I just totally, I was totally like falling in love with him, but also as I was sitting there, it was answering all the unanswered questions of like what's going to be the motor of this movie and what's the thing about this character and it was over the course of like having dinner and i couldn't stop thinking about i realized this is going to be what paul plays as a guy who's just like has such um, sort of faith in humanity and 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 has just so much like goodwill towards his like fellow man that it's going to cause him lots and lots of grief with his sisters, and and so it sort of. I came out of that dinner sort of having figured out what the story engine really was going to be.
1: Right, and of course, and of course, the overlap with, with Morgan's brother, who you mentioned being a, a guy who was was farming pot, is that you know this sort of opening uh, problem
0: of the that movie. Ned has in the movie. Yeah. Of
1: Of selling pot but you know the, the the movie's called our Idiot brother, and certainly you go into it sort of with this preconception about what this character is going to be, and obviously Ned is not an idiot right yeah.
0: no, I mean you know my our our hope at least is that you know you go through the journey of the movie and at the end you realize in ways his sisters are more idiots than he is and and that if anything you re you sort of reassess the tone in which our idiot. The title was meant that it's more like, oh man, you know what my idiot brother did last night. You know, in that sense that we all are one or have one or or whatever like that. Um, you know, I hope personally that you know people come away even from the scene where you see it's not like he just sells the guy pot right off the bat. It's just that he has that compassion that when he that when the guy is talking about a rough week, he just can't he can't leave that guy you know leave that guy hanging. So.
1: Well, yeah, and I think you know <laughs> something that recurs in the film often is the, it's this idea of honesty, um, and it's one of the things that I think is is most memorable and sweetest about the film is this idea that that you know there's no the, having no artifice of just sort of saying the truth or what's on your mind and not. Trying to you know scheme or manipulate other yeah. people to get your way. I mean, is was is there anybody in particular in, in your life other than you know Morgan's brother who you had this dinner with who who kind <laughs> of uh, you know served as a role model for that type of character? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I think I feel like there's definitely a lot of people who have element who have elements of of that, and I do feel like I'm kind of a I'm sort of I have a soft spot. For people who are, I have a spot, soft spot for people who are just genuinely super, super positive and open, even though I myself am really don't actually fall into that category. It's more like I aspire to be more that way, you know? Yeah. Um, we actually did have, like, you know, before I met Morgan's brother, we had an imperfect example, me and my sister, which was um, my one of my brother's best friends growing up, a guy, Dave Jackson, who was the first person that I ever knew who became, who, was a, who I actually knew who really became organic farmer. And, right. um And Dave Jackson's been doing it for 30 years up in Vermont, and he's got... Quite a bit of a Ned vibe,
1: yeah. Least, I mean, at least
0: physically. <laughs> Ned's
1: Ned's ex girlfriend and 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 her dude. Like, what's the name of the actor who plays? It's
0: TJ. It's a guy. He's a discovery for me he's from awesome. this casting process. This guy
1: um, who plays the ex boyfriend's new dude friend is incredible.
0: Yeah, his name's TJ Miller. He's. Um, you know, he's been. He, I guess people in the stand-up comedy world kind of know him, um, but he's definitely been getting a lot of movies recently. A bunch. I mean, you know, I I missed a bunch of the movies that he was in last year. You know, he keeps getting cast in like big broad comedies, um, but he he's was he's a really funny guy, and he definitely got a good angle on this character. And he and Paul had, um, you know, they had so much fun riffing riffing with each other. So. Um, you know, i I hate the term. Um, I hate the term bromance, which has become like synonymous right. with Paul Rudd movie. Um, so, <laughs> so I can't believe I'm stepping into it right now. But there actually is a you know a tweak a tweak, a tweak of a mini bromance in in the very end of this movie, just to have. One more movie where Paul falls in love with another dude. <laughs> well, I mean, what well, the
1: real bromance of the movie is the dog Willie Nelson, yeah. right? I mean, you know, you got you got a dog named Willie Nelson. Who wouldn't love a dog named Willie Nelson? Yeah. Now, are you? Because uh, I noticed there's some Willie Nelson songs in the soundtrack as well. Are you personally a, a big Willie fan, are your sister and brother-in-law big Willie um, fans?
0: I was always i was I was always a. Um, I always really liked his music and I always loved, I mean, he's a perfect guy, perfect example of a guy. I made a commercial with him for H and R block. If you think (laughs) for a second, you might um, understand why they cast him in that. Um, And he was such a joy to work with. So, I mean, just, you know, he's the most, whatever he fit. He totally fits that. He's got the Ned vibe um, (laughs) in his own, you know, elevated Willie Nelson way. Um, so it was, you know, we early on in the script writing process, we sort of had this idea that it would be funny if the dog had a first and last name and was named after somebody who um, Ned admired. And we kicked around, you know, we, we kicked around Jimi Hendrix and like other names. But like once we hit on Willie Nelson, I was like, no, 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 that's it. And, and we just knew, you know, on some really gratuitous levels, like, oh, it'll be funny to have him be like referring to his dog. As Willie Nelson, um, but then it worked. On, it worked for me on a lot of other levels in terms of the story, and then and then that sort of became a sort of, um, in terms of the score, that sort of became the sort of guiding principle of like what the score would sound like. We sort of knew there would be some Willie Nelson songs in it, and um, and we and it ended up being scored by um, two people, um, Eric Johnson from the Fruit Brat, Fruit Bats, who um, I. I knew a bunch of their songs because of Chloe, um, right. and um, and then my friend Nathan Larson, who I've worked with on everything else that right. I've worked in, and uh, the two of them had a magical like collaboration, at least from my standpoint. And I think they really challenge; they sort of channel that Willie Nelson vibe through the score in a way.
1: Definitely right, and the and the score, I mean, it, the soundtrack score, whatever, it's mostly uh, Willie Nelson, a few Willie Nelson songs, and then songs that that. Um, that Craig and Eric Nathan and Eric sorry otherwise wrote um, including a really beautiful version of Tie a Yellow Ribbon around the old oak tree which when I was watching and I was like writing in my notes like who does this version of this beautiful version (laughs) of Tie a Yellow Ribbon around the old oak tree
0: we were we were working on the script last year that year there was I I was uh, the winter that I was in LA and I was and I would drive my daughter to preschool every day and she became obsessed with Tie a Yellow Ribbon the Tony Orlando and Dawn version that I had on a cheesy 70s mix and make me play it every day on the way to school. And around the 19th day that we listened to that song on the way to preschool, I was suddenly listening to it and thinking, be the, this would be the ideal song to play when Ned leaves, um, when Ned leaves jail. So, um, and then we got Eric to cover it to make it a little bit of a more Willie Nelson-ish, you know version of
1: it my brother sidebar my brother used to be in a hardcore band called endangered feces
0: <laughs> and they
1: did a hardcore punk version of tie yellow River." it's a kind of it catchy opposite song. end of the spectrum yeah. from from this version so uh, you, you you mentioned that you know you had uh, worked on a film with your sister before and obviously this movie has you know a, a great deal to do with as you say adult sibling relationships are there aspects of ned's relationships with with any of his sisters that are similar to your relationship with your sister, um, and you know, and just tell us a little bit more about those the character, the sister characters. And what mean, you there, wanted.
0: there's you know, he's got, he's got three sisters. One who um, one who like certainly on the surface is more like my sister. It, my sister's primarily a journalist and she's written for Vanity Fair for a long time. Elizabeth Banks plays um, um, the character Miranda, who's a uh, you know, careerist journalist trying to work her way up and, um, and is probably the most kind of overtly superficial and harshest to him. Um, Emily Mortimer plays a uh, sort of classic Park Slope mom with two kids living a politically correct Park Slope existence with her self-righteous English um, documentary uh, filmmaker husband played by Steve Coogan. Um, and then uh, Zoe Deschanel plays a sort of searching to find herself, Bushwick performance artist who's um, you know also trying to figure out what her sexual orientation is. And Rashida Jones plays her um, uh, girlfriend. Um, so th- that's the key cast right there.
1: Yeah. Um, do you want to? Should we see what the what the people have to yeah, say on here? Does anybody have that. any questions for Jesse? Oh, don't be shy. I know somebody wants to know something uh, about Paul Rudd. Right here in the second row. Uh, my girlfriend is an aspiring filmmaker also, so I just wanted to know what's your inspiration and what gets you motivated?
0: What got me motivated to be a director? Um, you know, I have to say I always, I always really, um, you know, I definitely was a kid that really liked movies. Um, I had an experience when I was 15. I was a busboy. I was a busboy at a restaurant in Boston, um, where I had the I had a whole series of crushes and all these older ladies who were waitresses at the restaurant. They were like 21, 22. Um, And two of them were at film school, were going to Emerson Film School. And they asked me to be in their student film, um, which of course I was so excited to say yes to, because it was an excuse to hang out with them outside of Rebecca's restaurant where we worked. and at any rate, when I got the script, I realized that like my basic role was it was I was a 15 year old um, moving to the big city from Vermont. No, 17 year old moving to the big city from Vermont, and uh, my neighbor was this 30 year old eccentric who finds out I'm a virgin and sends in um, you know uh, a female friend of his to deflower me. Um, Anyways, it was I had the highest level of anxiety I've ever had in my life about the um, very explicit sex scene that I did in the student film, um, which was absolutely the last time that i've ever acted. I was totally one of those acting nerd kids um, beforehand, but this put a total end to my acting career but over the four day shoot of this movie, I was so into I was so into everything that um, was that everything was going on in the in the filmmaking process and just watching the crew work together. And, um, and I just, I remember thinking over those days like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do with, you know, my life. And it, and it really was like just that week that me that, you know, and I ended up spending the money I made that summer and I bought a super eight camera, which was um, the only option um, in 1984 or whatever. (laughs) Um, so that, that I mean, that was sort of it. And then, you know, that, and once I decided I wanted to be a director, then that made me be way more of a geek about seeing movies. And I would, gotten way more into seeing movies that my friends wouldn't want to see with me because that's, you, tends to be, you go through like the geek phase of wanting to see the really slow first Polish Polanski movies and, and, and that kind of thing.
1: What, you know, folks might not realize too is that Jesse was actually in a, you know, started as a musician um before he began his career as a as a director um and played in the band Lemonheads when they were first starting out and then well i mean were the were those these Lemonheads kids, These
0: people are too young to even know what you're talking
1: about. <laughs> right, but i mean it's still it, nonetheless interesting that that was what you did beforehand and that you made videos for your former band before you'd ever shot a film right yeah. so i mean what aspect I mean
0: i'd made some really terrible shitty, terrible short shitty, pardon my really French. shitty short um super and lots of terrible um, music videos as well. Right. Including terrible music videos from my former band.
1: (laughs) Right, right. I mean, is there any analogy between making a music video and making a film? I mean, I think...
0: um, I think that directing music videos or any kind of short-form things are incredibly useful at... First of all, just getting to play with the tools of filmmaking. And And I personally am a believer that people who are directors, even though ultimately... Um, when you 're on a bigger film set you 're the one person that doesn 't actually have a job like you really have nothing to you really are the one person who could leave and it could just keep it could just happen without you um, nonetheless I, I think it 's good to understand is to to sort of go through that phase where you do everything where you shoot stuff and you light it and you edit it and you um, learn how to record sound so you know how incredibly hard it is to actually record good sound, which is crucial to movie making. Um, and I think you kind of learn your place on the set as a director. I do think people over-exaggerate how much you can get out of you know, even years of directing big um, music videos because, for me at least, the biggest part of movie directing is um, directing actors and talking to actors and learning how to communicate in actors in such a way that helps them really find a performance and that pulls all the performances together so they're all part of the same movie and nothing that you do in music video I think ever prepares you for that and I think if you ask most music video directors what it's like to make their first like, real movie I think if they're being honest the biggest fear is oh my god I have no idea how to talk to an actor certainly for me that was my, my biggest fear
1: you knew how to talk to Dave Grohl very well already. Do you, yeah.
0: Do <laughs> we have yeah, we, other uh, <laughs> right here in the second row again? You talked a little bit about um, directing. You talked about being in front of the camera. Can you talk a little bit more about your process as a writer? Um, you said that for this film specifically, it was a collaborative effort. Do all of your um, films? Yeah. I mean, I to, to let me just be honest to um, talk about my process as a writer would. I need to um out myself and say i'm totally not a writer. my process of writer is to sit around and um you know uh um, sit around and hang out with writer with whoever i'm working with and talk to them about ideas and have them do all the hard work, which I really do appreciate the hard part of writing a script is actually sitting in front of a computer um having to like actually. Pound out words for characters and keep the characters' voices distinct and whatever. But um, so you know, in this script, and then I have another script that I wrote. I wrote two scripts in a row with my sister. This one also with her husband. Um, you know, we really would sit together and we beat out. We spent a month together, sort of three, four hours a day, um, really figuring out every everything that would happen in the first draft of the script. It changes a lot over the multiple drafts, but we sort of figured out all the beats of every scene and what the story would be. And it's like, you know, and there's the wall is filled with you know 120 cards that are like this. This scene is gonna, you know, there's gonna be a scene where Ned sells pot to a cop, and then we're gonna meet his sister. Going through the recycling, which got cut, um, you know, whatever, and then you like move, and you're, and then you kind of are like, am I telling the story in the right way? And you, and it gives you an opportunity. And almost everybody who does movie scripts do something with cards because you do ultimately end up shifting things around a lot, and then you write a draft, and then you start seeing what all the problems are in the story, and. You go back and you look at your cards and you throw 15 of them away and you write 18 new ones and move things around and then do your second draft. And um, But it's really, to, at least in my experience, it's just a lot of talking, getting people who you trust to read it and give you hopefully really honest notes and that kind of thing. Do
1: we have anyone else out there?
0: Right here in the second
1: row on the far side.
0: Hi, Jesse. Um, so I think I had read that... Um, you grew up in Cambridge and is it one of yeah. one of your parents was a publisher and your grandfather was a diplomat so I'm just kind of curious of that when you got the acting bug and you wanted to go into filmmaking how did your family respond to that were they supportive um, and um Yeah no 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 direction? I mean you know I, um my family was were really uh definitely like I grew up in a bit of a high pressure um, household but uh but they were t- my parents were totally supportive. I mean, they were obviously supportive of me directing and stuff and stuff like that. I mean, the thing that people question more is were they supportive of me um, wearing a bicycle chain with a padlock around my neck and being in a punk band, which um, which was preposterous and ridiculous that I was wearing a padlock and fashioned myself as a punk rocker. But they were really into that as that as well. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> The question here in the fourth row. In front All right. Of me. Was there uh, an experience with you and your sister that was like, "Oh my gosh, I totally have to put this in the movie because it just fits it so perfectly"? Oh man. Um, I wish there was. A, I wish there was. a I wish that the answer to that was yes. And I'm sure as soon as I move on to the next question, I'll remember. I'll. I'll remember what it was. Oh yes, there was one. The. Um, the um and i can't believe i'm putting oh my god now i've started this okay i'm gonna just boldly put this out there in the world (laughs) (laughs) i um i was um similarly seduced at a uh bar not a party into a um into a into a three-way as ned was and um and tried really hard to go through with it, and then, and then at a certain point, just had to put on the brakes because my, I, I wasn't feeling it on a, um, <laughs> on a sexual level, and, um, and, not quite to the extent of um, Ned, but actually quite a bit. Like him, felt incredibly, like incredibly guilty, and quasi like, and quasi um, felt bad that like I was, um, you know. Uh, being homophobic that I wasn't psyched to be to be making out with a man. <laughs> I cannot believe I just put that out there. <laughs> but, but that is that is probably the most autobiographical um comedic thing in the um, in the in the script that my sister insisted on um, pulling from my life and putting into it.
1: I feel like if you're going to have a three-way gone wrong, you have to put it in a movie at some point, right? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Hi. How did you get produced, and what is your relationship with your producer? Um, well, the my um, f- the the my main producer is on this movie and on my last one was um, Anthony Bregman from who has a company called Likely Story. Um, he's a New York, he's a hardcore New York independent film producer who makes many. He gets he 's just the hardest working guy somehow he ends up you know making three four movies a year um, so he was a total fan of um, the script right from the beginning, so he was the first person we gave it to. He said he wanted to produce it he 's not a financier so we did a we did a draft or two for him and his um, compatriot Stephanie aspiazu and uh, and then we gave the script to Paul I actually didn 't tell Paul that I was writing this for him um, I just wanted to I just wanted to finish the script that I thought he would like and so I waited until it was done to even tell what him. If he about didn't it.
1: like it, that would have been awkward. Then
0: if he didn't like it then we would have you know had to have taken it out there and, and like, find screw you and man. find somebody else to, to do it. But um <laughs> He had had a string of like these all being so busy, and I knew that he really didn't want to be making another movie and didn't want to do another little movie. And I just felt like if I tell him I'm working on this little thing, he'll feel like obligated. And I felt, you know what, it's better for me to wait until I have something finished. And so I gave him the script when I thought, when we thought it was totally done. He read it in 24 hours and said he wanted to do it. And so then. We had a financing partner in uh, this company, Big Beach, um, 24 hours later. So it was, it was, and basically he, Paul had a hole in his schedule that was 10 weeks away. So that sort of helped us get it made really quickly because it was like, Paul will do this, but we have to do it immediately. And so, um, and, uh, and then Big Beach was an amazing group to work with. They did um, Little Miss Sunshine and a bunch of other movies. And... Second row, Center.
1: Hi, is there any advice you can give to up-and-coming filmmakers?
0: Any advice for up-and-coming filmmakers? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's in a really excellent way. It's the technology um, in our modern um, era, like, give you so many more opportunities to make things in different ways than, you know, when I was, like, starting out. Um, you know, I would just say, like, try to get your, whole, your hands on any kind of, like, video recording device and really try to start making, like, little movies with your friends, you know, between any kind of thing that you can shoot a movie on, including your iPhone and uh, iMovie, is that what it's called, that you get in your... Um, in your Apple computer that you might buy in a store just like this you actually have all the tools you have you have all the tools you need to start making mo- making movies you know um, the other thing that I would say and this is and I always think like oh if I had a film school this my at least my first year of film school uh, this it, it would the curriculum would look like this you know some kind of like writing thing get people making little films with you know whatever video technology you can get your hands on Try to also get your hands on, um, you know, a still camera. Ideally, a still camera with a real manual, that's a total manual camera with a aperture ring ring, and a shutter speed. And really um, let yourself, like, understand how the image works. It's so easy in all the video stuff to not really understand the difference between a 135mm um, lens and a 35mm lens and what shooting... Wide open at an f/2, and how that's different from shooting um, closed down at an f/11. Like understanding depth of field and how long lenses compress space and um, short lenses um, open space up. And I and I think like, and I think sort of leaving the whole world of like filmmaking and just ha- having part of your mind sometimes just think about making images and understanding the way a camera works as a separate thing is um, is a great is a great learning epi- you know a great learning thing to do and will make you even if you 're not going to not interested in cinematography it 's going to make you a director who can communicate with um, whoever 's shooting movies for you better if you understand that stuff and lastly, I would say if you ever get an opportunity to direct a play even if it 's just the most informal thing with your friends if directing um, uh, like a one-act play, or like a one-person show. Anything where an actor has to stand there for 15 minutes, an actor or actors have to be a character for 15 minutes or more, that you can't just cut around what they're, what they're you know, cut around from the good takes of what they've done, force you to help an actor, to learn that language in which you communicate to an actor, to have a beginning, a middle, and end, to go somewhere in a character arc and and so i 'm a real believer that if you can if you can find ways to kind of strip those things apart and think about them individually they 'll all add up to making you um, have like the main skills of being a good director so
1: all right I think that's is that it for us yeah I think okay. that 's about it for us. thanks again to Jesse Perez right. for being and thank here. thank you and-
0: guys for um, being willing to come and. Listen to me, like yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's been great talking great with you. I never questions. met him before
1: before this, so I have no vested interest in saying wonderful, lovely, sweet, hilarious film, and you should all see it.
0: Excellent, and thank you guys for great questions. They were excellent. Thank you. Thank you again to both of you. Thank you, Jenny. Jesse, what's mm-hmm. the date? When can when can they see it? It opens tomorrow in theaters oh. all across the How country. How lucky is so that, guys? Tomorrow. August 26th let Let's all go together. Thank you excellent. so much again. Thank you.